Okay, listeners, I want you to self-identify who here has absentmindedly drawn or doodled while they're on the phone in a meeting or elsewhere. Well, if you raise your hand just then, then you're going to find today's chat really interesting because all of that doodling was not in vain. Hello and welcome to Creativity Uncovered. My name is Abby Gatling and I am on a journey to uncover how everyday people find inspiration, get inventive and open their imagination. Basically, I want to know how people use creative solutions at home, work, play and everything in between. And my goal for this podcast is that by the end of it, you'll be armed with a whole suite of tried and tested ways to summon creativity the next time that you need it. Um, Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Ashton Rodenheiser, who is a professional doodler, and she believes that drawing can actually be used as a thinking and a learning tool. So keen to find out more. So um, welcome, Ashton. Hey, Abby. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so looking forward to our chat today. Yes. And thanks so much for joining me all the way from Canada. It is your nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's commitment to the cause. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's commitment to all things creative. Yes. (laughs) That's what we love. That's what we love. Um, So I'm so intrigued. You are professional doodler. What, Mm. What is that? Where did this come from? I think it's so fun when you get to work for yourself and you can just like make up titles. Like someone commented on my LinkedIn the other day and I was like, I don't even remember. What do I, what do I call myself recently? So it's fun that you can be creative in creating your own job titles too. And professional doodler, I just thought was fun. And definitely one of those things you're like, what the heck is that all about? Yeah, so I use um, doodling and drawing and sketchnoting and live illustration to help communicate ideas. So I love being in situations where, you know, information is really dense, it's really complicated, and how I can use words and images and drawings to help gain, help people gain clarity in a session or a meeting or create that consensus and allow people to see to feel seen, valued, and heard, right? So it's really about finding myself in situations where that that complexity of the information is so high and how we can use something as simple as a doodle (laughs) to help explain those ideas even um, in so many different ways, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is so interesting to me because I'm such a visual person. I find myself doing diagrams when I'm explaining things and even the other day I was doing um, some business planning and uh, we were saying we're going to repeat this thing and I had drawn like the copy symbol and there was like everyone else in the group was like what are you doing like that's a copy symbol don't you know the copy symbol (laughs) so this is so interesting to me but like how did this come about that I mean I I, we all know about infographics and things like that but um, Mm. actually doodling it like how does that work Mm -hmm. yeah so I actually learned that this thing existed as a, a way of working as a facilitator so as a facilitator you find yourself in 
and meetings and sessions, and you're helping people move through complexity, very similar. And, but you're doing it by asking questions, you know, um, sometimes you have to call out the elephant in the room, right? Sometimes you're in conversations that people are unhappy to be there, right? Like you're not necessarily a mediator though. You can find yourself in sometimes those situations, but it's about helping people move through to get to a goal or a decision and, and being the person at the front of the room where you're not the teacher, but you're helping manage everybody, making sure everybody feels heard and reflecting back what you're hearing people say and helping make connections, but you're doing that all in words, right? So a few years into it, a friend of mine had introduced me into just a one day local workshop about graphic facilitation. I had never seen it in my life, but I think secretly I'd always wanted to be an artist, but I didn't think that was ever a logical path for me. There was just such a negative rhetoric in my family and my community about those quote unquote kids who go to art school and have no jobs when they leave. You can't make money being an artist. Like this isn't new probably to any of your listeners, right? (laughs) So I didn't even follow that path. But when I heard this graphic facilitation, I thought, oh, this is so interesting because I really love helping people come to their own ideas and facilitate things. And like I said, you're not a teacher, so you're not imparting wisdom. You're hearing wisdom and feeding it back to people in a way that they can kind of learn from themselves. So this graphic, this sort of visual was like, oh, this is kind of intriguing in the facilitation world. And I took that one day workshop and I was totally hooked. I was like, this is so fascinating. So you can work with groups of people to help them get to a goal by not just doing it in words, but now you can do it in pictures. And I was actually facilitating a group at the time with young adults talking about pluralism and about how we can kind of go beyond tolerating people and really like genuinely, authentically, like get to know people and respect people, even when they have a different background from us. Um, The focus was more of a religious context, which was a really cool because we got to like go and visit all these like different religious um, uh, places of worship and talk to the leaders. It was like such an amazing eye-opening experience. Anyways, I was facilitating that at the time with with someone else. And I had just taken this workshop. I threw some paper on the wall. I did it. It was horrible. I did some drawings. I did some words. (laughs) It was awful. And I put it away for a little while. I brought it back out, like, I don't know, a few weeks or months later. I can't remember. And I was like, whoa, I can remember where people sat. I can remember things that weren't even captured on the page. Like I was blown away by the power that like, this isn't just like this cute drawing thing that you do in a meeting. Like I, I was like, whoa, this is actually a lot more powerful than I thought it was. And it was kind of from that point that I was like, you know what? I really want to learn how to do this very well. Like I, I want to do this. So I I started, you know, collaborating with other facilitators and doing some things. And then, in, and th- this was 10 years ago. So it was like, I'm actually like at my 10 year anniversary because it was the fall of 2013. And uh, a few years in me just sort of playing around and trying to figure it out. I went to a conference in Austin, Texas. Um, I was seven months pregnant at the time with my second child and it was July and it was so hot. It was awful. <laughs> 
And, but I went there with a mission. I was like, I'm going to like, see who created business doing this. Like who is making money doing this? Like, how did they figure this out? So I sat in and all the best business sessions that they had. And I was like, man, these people figured it out. I'm sure I could figure it out too. So I left that, um, that conference being like, okay, I'm going to actually try to build a business. Um, cause up at that point it was kind of like, I was half in, half out. It was like, I tell people now that like I had a secret business those first few years because oh, I like yeah. didn't tell anybody, didn't tell anybody. It's like my secret business. Yes, side hustle. <laughs> it news flash, you can't like that. You can't run a business if it's a secret. Um, <laughs> so anyways, that's sort of my kind of journey of how I, and I, how I kind of got to this place. And yeah, that was, that I started 10 years ago and I started really building a business about seven, even though I say like the number is fluid because of the secret business thing, (laughs) but it was about, it's, I've been doing it really full time for seven years. That's so cool. So, so you sort of started in small group facilitation, but now you've moved on to big conferences. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really, I really fall, I really fell in love with when I first was introduced to it, to it as like the facilitation support, like being there on the facilitation team. And then from a business perspective, conferences was a easier sell the facilitation, um, because I could go to a conference, they would have three, four, five, ten 10 speakers. I could create these visuals based on the presentations. And there was a really quick, immediate feedback, right? Like if I was there for the day, or sometimes I'd be there for multiple days, like, and when you're in person, I do with paper and markers mostly, right? So it's very like in your face, like they're life-size, they're gigantic, right? So um, from a business perspective, the conferences have actually been like an easier sales process. Whereas the facilitation, unless somebody understands the power of facilitation, um, it's like a little bit of a, like there's still like a lot of teaching in what I have to do because of what it is as like an experience good. You have to experience to understand it, but adding the facilitation piece is like, now you have to also teach them on the value of facilitation sometimes. So, um, I still do facilitation, but I more so collaborate with others. So sometimes people will find me and I'll bring in a facilitator because it's impossible to do both roles. You can't like be managing a room and talking to them and also be drawn, having your back half turned to them, drawing a picture about what they're saying. Right. So, um, yeah, so, but I find myself in mainly those two situations, more of a facilitation type style where I'm, I'm a little bit more engaged. Um, it's really about the voices collectively in a room, whereas at a conference, it might be like a panel or a speaker. So they're like more moments in time of like a present, like a fully formed presentation. But then in the facilitation, it's like, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> who knows what people are going to talk about it's yeah. a little bit more free form in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So in a smaller group, I suppose you can ask people questions and get clarifications and that would help you with your drawing. You can't do that in a big conference. I can, I imagine. No. Um, hopefully if the conference speakers are decent, I shouldn't have to ask a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, if they talk really, really fast, sometimes I'll like have my, my, my camera, 
app on my phone ready to go. So I can just like take some pictures of some slides or something. But most of the time, I, I'm just so tuned to listen and draw so quickly that uh, it's usually fine. But being in a room of people that it's a different level of engagement, which is really beautiful. And when I get to introduce myself at the beginning, I get to sort of lay the foundation of why I'm there and how I'm supposed to help them. And I invite them like, hey, tell me if I spelled something wrong. <laughs> That's always like a joke, right? Because there's always people who like to correct people's spelling. But <laughs> beyond that, I'm like, hey, come in, tell me if I didn't capture something, please let me know, right? Like if you if you feel like I missed something, please tell me and I will, you know, this should be a collaborative it's not like I'm the artist over here doing it. It's like, no, no, talk to me, engage with me. And then, yeah, I get to ask those clarifying questions. And then I'm also basically like a professional listener at the same time. <laughs> so then I sometimes can pipe in and ask a question. I find, cause I almost am like holding the, the, I'm like holding all of it. Like, like, whereas when people are in the room and they're talking, a lot of times they come with their own judgments and bias and all their own like baggage around that topic. And when I get to go in there as like a third party, I'm like, I have no idea what like Sally from HR did yesterday and why you're like mad to be here, right? <laughs> like, like I don't have any of that. So I can like listen as like a holistic kind of perspective and ask questions sometimes or help the facilitator out um, by kind of stepping in and saying a few things here and there as like my role as like the holder of all of the information. <laughs> um, so I, I find I'm almost one of those people that play a role in the room sometimes of like, all right, let's take, I know we're on this path. Let's just take five steps back. Let's review what we just talked about. Okay. How do we want to take this conversation forward? Because sometimes when you're in those rooms and emotions are high and people um, have their own agenda of what they want to get out and what they want to talk about, sometimes I just like, I'm the one, I'm the person there that also is like, all right, let's just take a breather here, people. <laughs> let's take a step back, reflect on what we just heard, where we see in the themes are arising. Where do we want to take this conversation next? Right. So, yeah. That's so cool. I can only imagine how fast your hands are moving, drawing these things. <laughs> I've always <laughs> joked that like, I actually did look on the Guinness World Records website, but I cannot find anything about like the fastest handwriting because I would love to try to apply for it. I'm sure I wouldn't win, but you know, <laughs> I, opportunity. It, would be, it would be interesting, it, but I don't see it on there. So if there's any Guinness World Record people out there, like oh that God. would be really fun. But yeah, I do definitely. Um, I actually just did like a little Instagram thing the other day. I was like, this is how fast I write. Like, yes, this is actually how fast I'm like, I'm not speeding it up. Wow. Yeah. So you capture very, very quickly. That's for sure. So especially fast. when you're doing conferences and things like that. Yeah. 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 Fast and legible. That's very that's a killer combination. Yeah. 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 It's this like weird space where you're, you're not just trans, it's not just straight translation, right? Whereas you can think of it as like a visual language, but it's not just straight translation because what happens in traditional note-taking is a lot of it is you listen and you write down, but you miss the most important part, which is the thinking part, right? 
So when I'm doing this, I'm listening, but I'm not just writing stuff down. I'm thinking, okay, what did I just hear five minutes ago? How does that connect with what I'm listening to now? Does, does this warrant me writing it down? Should I wait a minute? You know what I mean? So I love that. I think that's like almost like the unsung hero is like the stuff that you don't see because you see that what I'm drawing, but what you're not seeing is the thinking and all of the, I call it making sense, the making sense that's happening in your brain of like, how do these ideas connect together? What makes sense here? Right? So that's, that's what you don't see, but what people do see is the drawing part, right? So it's not, it's kind of goes beyond just like, um, some people use the word scribe to say like, oh, I'm a visual scribe. And I've never really referred to myself as that because when I think of a scribe, I I feel like it's missing that thinking part. So yeah, it, it terms and things are are so funny, what we end up calling ourselves. But you know, it's it's sort of like this, it's less about being a wonderful artist and more about listening in the thinking part, because you can create a graphic that is very messy, but more meaningful than one that's beautiful. You know what I mean? So if you're like a professional artist or you're a trained artist, but you don't have any of the listening and the thinking down, then yeah, it's a pretty picture, but it might not mean anything to the people in the room or, you know, when you're doing this for yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was wondering before when you said I might I'd take photos of the s- slides if they're talking too quickly and things like that. I was wondering why would you have um, you creating a visual on the side as well as their slides? But that's you kind of being the conduit between the speaker and the audience, I suppose. You're kind of interpreting what they're saying and putting in an extra context. Is that, is that right? Yeah. The way that I like to describe it is like, especially at a conference, right? You're going to a conference and you're listening to all this information and it's so much and it's so overwhelming. And I should really know the stats off the top of my head, but whatever it is, like you lose a significant amount of what you remember is gone within a week or two. Right. So I like in those situations to try to be the conduit of their of the like long lasting learning. So there's this beautiful like opportunity to have this like cool engaging thing in the moment that can help um, can help visual learners or people who learn differently. You know, especially like I feel like I'm really seeking out working with clients who care about the learning of the people in the room and also care about how people just are humans in a room, right? Like I was at an event of about two months ago and it was so overwhelming. Like there was no quiet area. There was no place where I could just go and just like, just sit in silence for a minute. There was nowhere for me to go. Um, and I think about that as someone who is being a professional in that space, let alone anybody who might need a quiet space just to think, right? So if you um, cannot physically or mentally be there during a presentation because the world is overwhelming to you for whatever reason, um, I also like that this can also be supporting people like that, right? So there's like the learning, there's the engagement. And then back to what I was saying about the 
the long lastingness is like, now you have this visual snapshot that you can quickly look at and go, right, right, top three things. Oh, right. That cat joke was funny. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Okay. I remember what he said. This is, this is what I took from it. What I have you. So, you know, and then what I would hope speakers and conferences want you to do is to take that learning, and do something with it. But if you can't remember it, you're not going to do anything with it, right? So you go back to your workplace a week later or two days later, you don't remember what anybody said. So you can't actually implement any of the changes, right? And like, sometimes I'm working in very like technical spaces, you know, and it's pretty important for you to like, know like the latest cybersecurity, like something, something threat actor who's going to do something bad or whatever, like might want to remember those things, right? So um, there's, so there's this sort of like, beauty of value of like in the room supporting people and the sort of aftercare of your conference attendees too of like now here's all the graphics and you can refer to them what if you weren't there you didn't miss out here's what you missed or if you were there now you can go oh right that's what I that's I remember when they said that yeah like a memory jogger almost yeah that's interesting I will need to introduce you to a someone else who I have I have on the podcast I've had a pre-chat with them they're coming up soon and she's a professional map maker but she it's so similar to what you're doing what you're doing but it's about um she makes maps of people's memories and special times and things like that and it's could be a physical map but it like you might have this is where I met my best friend and this is where this happened. And so you can remember a place so much more clearly when you attach like emotion or a memory to it rather than just a physical map of it was the corner of this street and that street. Right. It sounds sounds the same, but different context. I feel such a, uh, like visuals are such good things for jogging people's memory and um, like recalling information. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I love the like doodling so much. And I feel like doodling for me, you know, when I say I'm a professional doodler, it's, you know, it's kind of playful, but it's really kind of taking the core um, value system of doodling and just amplifying it. Right. But I love doodling as um, an art form because it's so low barrier to entry right? It doesn't have to mean anything. You don't have to be an artist. If you haven't picked up a pen in 20 years, you can still make a doodle. Like I really love doodling as just a a thing that exists in the world that you can play with. It doesn't have to mean anything. You don't ever have to show anybody, right? And doodling is doing what people, like people think it's doing the opposite of what they think, right? So we've been told that doodling is a distraction, right? You're doing it because you are bored in a meeting. But the science shows that it's actually doing the opposite. It's helping you stay focused, right? Whereas like a lot of us are actually very tactile learners, right? But if you're sitting in a meeting, where can you be tactile, right? Where can you, I guess like kinesthetic learners too, right? Like, you know, you need to be moving. I think that's why like the fidget spinners, I believe, my opinion, it's why those like fidget spinners, and those like look like the little toys are so have been so popular over the last number of years because it's a very like non-threatening. You can just like spin a thing, it's like not hurting anybody, right? Um, but it gives something for kids and people to do, 
right? With their hands while they're also listening to something, right? So, you know, doodling can help you remember up to 29% more information, just doodling, right? In a meeting, right? So the way that I like to look at my work is just like a step above that right? You're doodling anyways, just make those doodles work for you a little bit, like include the information in them or doodle something of what you're hearing, right? Um, They told a funny cat story. So you drew a little cat. And when you look at that doodle later, you might remember part of their story, right? So, um, so I like to, when I'm teaching people how to do this too, is like, it's not about being an artist. It's not even really knowing how to draw anything in the beginning. It's just getting yourself used to and going back to the doodling that you used to do and just like small little tweaks, small, like the first thing that I teach people to draw is a line, right? Just a line and then turn that line into an arrow, then turn that line into a square and then turn the line into a circle. And then all the different use cases for those little like drawing elements, right? So it's not like, we're necessarily looking in the beginning when you're learning it too, is like creating all these like wonderful pieces of artwork, right? So, and I've really been trying to show people some of my early stuff from like 10 years ago when I didn't really draw a whole lot. I was very creative, but didn't draw a whole lot. So my drawings weren't great. (laughs) They're pretty awful, (laughs) right? So, um, you know, I like it when I can kind of show that progression of my sort of 10 year journey. It's like people can't compare, oh, what I what I can create 10 years in is like, oh, well, if I can't draw that, I might as well not even try. And that's not the case. So it's really about those little building blocks and those little stepping stones and using a, the doodling as this like beautiful, non-threatening, low barrier to entry, you know, pretty safe space <laughs> to jump off of. Yeah, I love that. It's a non-threatening art form (laughs) that that, I mean I definitely remember getting in trouble at school for doodling and perhaps it was part of me trying to recall (laughs) and understand what was actually happening in the class so do so you think that anyone should be able to doodle and this might enhance their understanding or you know at work or what, what how do you think that people could apply this in their everyday life Yeah, well, I usually like to describe it, you know, it's very useful when complexity is so high, right? Like I started this conversation off talking about a lot of complexity. Um, So uh, often we'll find ourselves and, you know, you might not even think that about it and you might brush it off as, you know, you're at a restaurant and you grab a napkin and you ask someone for a pen, you make a little scratch, 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 trying to explain a concept to somebody, right? Like that is the power of a doodle. And so I find like doodling just as like a something to kind of help keep your hands busy while you're learning something is fine, um, but also can be leveraged in very leveraged in situations where that complexity is higher and you're trying to understand something for yourself. And sometimes words aren't always going to do it right? And you don't need like a fancy like visual program to create something to try to get those ideas out of your head. And sometimes you just need like a few little scratches on a piece of paper and a few words and you're like trying to gain clarity for yourself or explain something to somebody else. So that could be, you know, something that you're trying to figure out for yourself or in a situation in like a workplace where you're 
you know, faced with a situation where you're trying to gain understanding or clarity or explain something to somebody. So, you know, the kind of the, the situations are kind of endless and how you could use it. Um, it's just kind of adding it into like sort of something that you can do as like, Hey, I need to explain something. I'm going to doodle this out. This is going to help me explain it to you or me be able to understand for myself. So, yeah. Yeah. I think even just like capturing the moment you were talking about complexity and my mind instantly went to, my gosh, we've got so many things going on in our lives. There's Australia interest rates rising and uh, there's just so much going on politically and everything like that. Even just Mm -hmm. kind of doodling down what is on your mind you don't have yeah. to necessarily have to write a list like this is worrying me. This is worrying me. You can just draw mm-hmm. things and just get it off your brain. I can imagine that would be something useful for me to do just as a release. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when we do this, when we do, we take words and we words and pictures the way that I do it professionally, when we do it for ourselves, the common term is sketch noting. So, um, or visual note taking, you call it either thing. But, um, like I know people in the sketchnoting community that that's their primary use as like, as like a self-care meditative thing, right. For themselves. Right. So, so many different ways to be able to kind of use this for yourself to, you know, I love how it can help people learn. And that's sort of like my, (laughs) the hill I'll die on is about like the learning. Cause I feel like You've just done people such a great disservice by taking something as simple as a drawing out of the hands of students as they get older. And then that, you know, we, and then we get into adulthood, into the workplace, and we don't leverage something that could really help us learn and engage with information. So I still really, really love that aspect of it, but it it can be used in so many different ways, like the self-care, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of the mindfulness um, coloring books and things like that. It's mm. it's kind of like that, but you don't even need the book. You just need a pen and paper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I love that part about it too. Like doodling being so like such a a non threatening art form, but then like you don't need anything fancy. Like everyone's got something to draw with and a piece of paper lying around, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, it doesn't require anything uh, fancy. And I always find one of the one of the first questions people always tend to ask me when they're learning how to sketch note or do visual note taking are the materials. And I'm like, don't worry about the materials. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what digital program I use. Don't worry about it. You know, just pick up whatever you have because I find, you know, we we think, I think sometimes we think, oh, well, we need to have the good pens or we need to have the good stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. I started with, you know, office supply store, $10 pack of markers. And that lasted me like a year or more. And I was doing it for other people, right? I started off with real like cheapy, basic things. And it didn't matter. People weren't asking me, oh, are those the fancy markers or the $10 markers? And nobody asked, right? Nobody cared. They were just like impressed that I could kind of do it on the fly. Right. Um, so I always think like, you know, it's nice to have fun materials that we love to play with, but you know, it's definitely not necessary when you're first starting out for sure. 
Yeah, I love that. It's very accessible to get into it. Mm. And I just I just had a thought, man, you must be awesome at Pictionary. <laughs> you know what? I haven't played Pictionary in years, and I think it's because no one suggests it. <laughs> I actually own it. I actually own it. Uh, yeah, and like nobody wants to play pitch Pictionary with me. I actually <laughs> mentioned it. It's in my, my first page of my book. Uh, I like the book that I wrote about sketchnoting and it's actually in my, the first page of my introduction. It's like, are you always picked last for Pictionary? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell me, what, tell me about your book. So is this an instructional yeah. book on how to get into it or tell, tell me a bit yeah. about it? Yeah. So it's called the beginner's guide to sketchnoting. So it's everything that you need to know from from the beginning as a beginner so emphasis on the beginner's guide i really felt like there's so many amazing wonderfully talented people who do this professionally but the problem is that's all we see are these beautiful sketch notes these beautiful graphics from these conferences right they're so incredible and i felt like there was this huge gap in the world space, whatever of like beginner, beginner content, like just putting pen to paper, right? So, because if we're trying to talk to people who just getting them back to putting pen to paper, but they're looking at all these beautiful illustrations and you're like, I can't do that. You know what I mean? It starts with lettering. And like I said, it goes into the line, an arrow, and it talks about how you can use a line, like the purpose of using a line. You can use a line to connect information on a page. You can use it to separate. You can use it to highlight, right? A square as a container, and then you can change it up, make all different kinds of shapes of containers. But start with like something as like a square. You can group information. You can emphasize you can use them as subheadings right so how to use these like really basic drawing elements to integrate them into the words that you're capturing because the content's still always going to be really really important we're not looking at taking information and turning it into 100% drawings right so for people that are familiar with infographics you you could kind of lean on that for inspiration where infographics kind of usually have an icon and words but it goes a little bit beyond an infographic because oftentimes as you kind of get more experience with it that information like weaves in and around drawings and things right so it's not necessarily like where a lot of infographics are like here's a pie chart that describes this data point and here's the information with it, which a lot of people start their sketchnoting journey off doing that, but it can go way, way beyond that. Um, but yeah, like I don't even teach icons and drawing icons until like at the very end of the book, because really trying to build the foundation, some of the drawing skills, introducing drawing like little people, and then, um, talking about the process of listening and thinking and then making sense part and then introducing more about the visual vocabulary I call it whereas you can like start to learn how to draw really basic icons and they can have meaning so learning an icon that can have multiple meanings right starting off with those instead of something that's just like I keep going back to a cat right like a little <laughs> cat face that's great to learn how to draw but like 
You might not use that all the time, but like a little magnifying glass or a little light bulb or a little book or a little um, clipboard or a little pencil or a little something have multiple meanings to them, right? Like a pencil could be like, you're writing something, you're drawing something, you're explaining something, um, right? So it can describe many ideas. Mm -hmm. So I like to teach when we start to kind of get into more drawings, which I find people just want to jump right to learning how to draw. But if they don't get some of those foundational elements of like the lines and things like that, then I find people just burn out and they're like, oh, they give up too quickly. But you could create a really beautiful sketch note with just using some lines or just using like a line and arrow, you know, and a container or two. Like it could look very nice. But at the end of the day, it should be about the process and not the product. So even though I do teach aesthetics in the book and, and you know, the, the visual appeal of how it might look, still the content is always going to be really important, right? And the process of your thinking and learning while you are creating. Yeah. Mm, you've just hit on a major theme that's that runs through this podcast, <laughs> which is it's about the process. It's not necessarily yeah. about the end result especially mm. as you are learning. So that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely am going to have to look up your book because it sounds so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I want to say thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a really great conversation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I could have talked to you forever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like I have so many more questions, uh, but I'll just have to invite you back. I think. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and I also want to say um, thank you to everyone who's tuned in today to Creativity Uncovered. I really hope this episode has inspired you to pick up a pen and start doodling. Um, and as always, I hope that this topic helps you summon creativity the next time that you need it. If you've made it this far, a huge thank you for your support and tuning into today's episode. Creativity Uncovered has been lovingly recorded on the land of the Cubby Cubby people, and we pay our respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This podcast has been produced by my amazing team here at Crisp Communications, and the music you just heard was composed by James Gatling. If you liked this episode, please do share it around and help us on our mission to unlock more creativity in this world. You can also hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episode releases.